Welcome, and thanks for joining us for NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, daughter, wife, mother, licensed marriage and family therapist, and outreach counselor for the Nick Finnegan Counseling Center here in Houston, Texas. We are here to offer a compass for navigating the development of self, partnerships, parenting, and the general network of connections you build across a lifetime. Faith is often a term that creates mixed feelings and thoughts. In much of mental health research, faith is connected to resiliency and improved recovery rates for various mental health struggles. However, there is another side of faith that can occur as well, that of hurt, shame, and fear. An emerging area of research and work in mental health is religious trauma. And here to discuss both sides of faith in mental health care is NFCC's very own clinical director, Audrey Omenson. As a licensed professional counselor supervisor, Audrey provides counseling services for clients and trains new counselors. After receiving her master's in psychology in 2010, she pursued graduate level training in theology and philosophy with an emphasis on Christianity. Audrey says that the experience she's gained from working in a state-funded agency, a private school, religious settings, and a nonprofit counseling center has given her invaluable diversity in perspective which she uses to help clients identify their strengths and unpack unhealthy or harmful beliefs about themselves and their relationships. Audrey is also a talented artist and recently branched out by launching her own private practice. Audrey Omenson Therapy, www.audreyomensontherapy.com. Thank you so much for being here, Audrey. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like one of those things that's very, seems very niche, but then once you actually start talking to people about it, then everyone's like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, I've definitely experienced that. <laughs> um, so it's definitely grown a lot. Um, but um, yeah, just personally, I got into it because I mean, like I grew up in a very religious family. We were always involved in, you know, all that sort of stuff growing up. Um, I think in the South, that's a pretty common narrative for a lot of people. And yeah, then got into my twenties and realized like, oh, some of those experiences I had in some of those religious settings were actually pretty harmful and really had to do some of that uh, deconstructing and unpacking work for myself. And that was like a really meaningful part of my mental health journey in my early and mid twenties. I mean, and you still kind of, I mean, it's a lifelong thing, kind of unpacking some of those different layers and how they've impacted you and everything. But yeah, that was definitely something that I went through. And then a lot of friends that I had at the time also were going through some of that same process. And then it, in terms of specialty in counseling, it just kind of developed organically. It was like, I had one client who was really dealing with a lot of stuff in that area. And so I really started like revisiting what was helpful for me then and started doing more like reading and research around it. And and then started getting a couple, you know, and then, you know, once you kind of like start noticing that you start to like realize how prevalent and common it is. And that's partially why I 
pursued um, all that work studying like the philosophy and theology piece of just like, what's this look like? How do we unpack this? How do we help people find health, whether it's within a religious setting or for some people it means leaving that or changing some of their belief systems or just deconstructing. And, and all of that can feel really, really disorienting and scary, especially depending on what you believe, right? Like sometimes just the very like concept of questioning that um, has a lot of scary implications. So it can feel really high stakes and very um, scary and disorienting for people when some of that comes up. So anyway, I went through it myself and uh, then started just seeing more clients start to go through that. And then, yeah, like once you kind of start reading about it and getting into it more, then you start to discover more resources and all that. And then separately, I would say, um, the conversation around uh, harm and trauma within religious settings really got a lot bigger um, after the Me Too movement because there was Me Too and then pretty soon after there was Church Too. It was sort of a related hashtag, but it was specifically trauma and abuse experiences within uh, religious contexts. And so that really brought that conversation up for a lot more people in a bigger way. So I noticed a lot more resources started to show up after that church to movement a couple of years ago. And then also just the topic started coming up a lot more with clients and all of that sort of thing. So kind of been a growing thing, but it's definitely really starting to explode and get a lot bigger. Yeah, that's what I've been. Yeah, that's what I've been finding as I've, you know, because this isn't my area. And honestly, Full disclosure, I grew up in a Jewish household. And so I think the religious trauma experiences and the religious messages, not just from the religion itself, but just from existing as a person of a non Christian. That's a whole different category, but very yeah. connected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the United States. So, and then, you know, Nick Finnegan Counseling Center, we're associated with the church. We're a ministry of a church, but we're also separate. We're a separate entity. We don't practice necessarily Christian counseling uh, unless somebody wants that. And, and so I've kind of stayed under the radar, I feel like, a little bit with that. And so only recently has it more and more come up that people are struggling with their religion. I've had a lot of grief of people having to leave their religions for different things I've seen in clients. And then coming into my own, navigating that, I do I want to stand under the radar? I don't want to deal with anti-Semitism. I don't want people to be put off by my religion because that doesn't affect my counseling practice, you know, and all those things. Um, and so kind of coming to terms with that, navigating that, getting more comfortable with saying what my background is and being able to explore that with others. So through all that, so I haven't really seen a lot of this, but as this topic came up, because it is so important, it's so interesting in counseling research, most of the research says being a member of a religious community is good for resilience, it's good for recovering from substance abuse, it's good for recovering from divorce, like everything is cling to your faith, cling to your faith. And yet, there's also a lot of data about how unhealthy faith can be, how clinging to your faith can cause shame and self-damaging. And those are the parts that don't get talked about. I don't remember hearing anything about the damages of religion in my counseling program. It wasn't- No one talks about that. <laughs> no one says that. <laughs> so you go, so then you go look and dive into religious trauma syndrome or, you know, even just look at the research people were 
the percentage of people leaving their religions was incline like on a steady incline up until the pandemic actually interestingly uh the only one that's changed is that christian faith has more evened out or people who have been in christian faith and were practicing uh regularly have become stronger according to the pew research they just feel more attached to their faith um which i think is a positive sentiment but um, it's just an interesting thing to navigate these two worlds of when is it good, when is it bad, how to know the difference. And then also, and kind of what we're here is there's a lot of crises that happen where we question our faith. We're raised under these strict belief systems, and then we can lose somebody in a horrible way. We can be di diagnosed with something horrible, and we get angry and we question things. Um, mm -hmm. We can have religious trauma. We can be told that we're not good enough. We can be of a different... Um, gender identity or sexual orientation and have that be a whole thing. So there's all these things that lead us to crises of faith. And, and I want to talk today about how to navigate that. But I thought let's start with, you know, kind of how do we reconcile this discrepancy between this good data on mm -hmm. faith along with this crisis and trauma-related data? Well, I think uh, with both of those, it's really helpful to zoom out um, and think about, you know, what's the point of faith, right? Um, or some, why, why we want this, why, you know, and I mean, even people who are atheists have a belief system, right? Like their belief system is science and all of this other stuff. But I mean, like, it still is, this is how, like humans always want some way to make sense of the world, some way to find a sense of like purpose and meaning to help provide a little bit of framework whenever horrible, tragic, unexplained, you know, hard to explain things happen, right? Like we all want, it's, it's can be really painful to just feel like you're floating through the universe with absolutely no meaning or purpose at all right like that's a very uncomfortable place to be of like well everything's meaningless why are we even doing this like you know what's the point right like that can be very hopeless so beliefs whether it's science or religion or you know like wherever you fall on all of that like a big part of the psychological purpose of that is to provide some of that comfort a little bit of a sense of predictability a sense of purpose of meaning give some like comfort to that existential like what's the purpose of why I exist in the world and why we all exist in the world and all of that so that's a big part of why um belief systems faith all of that sort of stuff can be so beneficial right because it helps give a much stronger sense of purpose identity mission value like all these other things but on the other side of the coin that's also why harmful experiences within uh, religious settings can also be so damaging because it impacts on a very deep level those like very core things of like what's my worth and value what's my purpose in the world what's my belief about the universe and my place in it right like these like huge big questions if we have something really built around all of that and then we experience something that feels like a betrayal or feels really harmful or traumatic can be really dysregulating and upsetting. And also like sometimes it could be maybe nothing specifically harmful happened in your religious context. You just experience a tragic event in your life that can really call to question all those same things of like, what's the purpose of why we're here? 
why do we experience pain? Or like, again, all of those like huge, big, hard to know the answer to type questions. So I think that's why belief systems and all of that have so much power, whether it's in positive ways or in painful ways, right? It's because it's all connected to these really deep, sometimes overwhelming, hard to pin down questions about life and purpose and meaning and all, you know, all of that other kind of stuff. It's interesting, actually. So in this research, I'm going to probably talk a lot about this because like I said, this isn't an area that I've ever really dove into before. Usually when it comes to the clients I work with around religion, we just do grief work around religion. Um, But something, this term came up that I don't know how I feel about it yet, but the nuns, agnostic, atheist, non-religious institution associated people are categorized as the nuns, like N-O-N-E-S. I don't know if you'd heard that, but it came up a lot in my research. And what was interesting is a good majority of the people that are nuns are nuns because they left, they started out in a religion and they left the religion because they couldn't reconcile the teachings with their reality. And I found that to be so interesting. And so I kind of want to talk about, and I want to talk about religious trauma too, but to start with, there's so many things that lead to these crises of faith. You've already mentioned like tragedies, uh, the trauma, just the questioning, the figuring out who you are. And can you um, speak a little more, just like, I want to dive a little bit deeper into crises of faith, what they look like, what people generally experience when they start. I know there's a lot of resistance, right? Because you're like questioning something you've been told, no, this, this, this. And then you're like, uh, well now who am I? Yeah. Well, they're, they're super fun. Um, everyone loves them. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) They sound like a blast. (laughs) Um, well, yeah, I mean. Um, it can be a really scary thing and, and people exert a lot of energy to avoid it and it can feel really high stakes, especially depending on, again, your religion and the specific version of that religion you've um, been in. So like, for example, if you're a, a very fundamentalist evangelical Christian, right? A big part of that belief system is like, these are the true things, questioning them is a slippery slope. And if you question them and you go too far with that, then you risk losing your salvation and going to hell. Right. So like, if like I could die and go to hell forever, like if I question this too much, right. Like that's a very, very high stakes kind of thing. But I also just, I have a lot of clients who aren't Christians, like that are from other religious settings. And I'd say, while the teachings may be different the underlying themes or pillars of all of this um, are pretty consistent. Yeah. So with those belief systems, it can just, whatever the thing is, they often feel high stakes, whether it's like, this is my whole community, like almost everyone I know, or my whole family are all this one religious belief. And if I question this too much, or they find out that I'm questioning it too much, then I'm going to be othered. I'm going to feel, I'm worried I'm going to be rejected or not accepted or that they're going to judge me. Right. There's this strong community element. There's a big element of like, what's this mean about my life? Especially like my like life after I die, right? Like any sort of like eternal life. What do I think about that, right? It impacts how, you know, what we feel like our role and purpose is in life, you know? So often there's this very initial, like kind of intense 
fear and hesitancy around that. And then it's, all, I mean, this is where people talk about like that dark night of the soul thing where it's like, okay, what's that? I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Like where you kind of walk into this place of like, like once you kind of ex- are stepping into some of those questions, I mean, it's a process of, it's not permanent. Dark night of the soul isn't permanent, but to really sounds scary. I know the, well, the term is called deconstruction, right? Like when we start taking apart our beliefs and really examining them, this doesn't mean deconstruction doesn't mean that you end up walking away from your faith. It can mean you deconstruct it. And then you decide certain elements are still important to you and whatever. And then you reassemble things in a different new way, but you might stay connected with your faith or you might decide to walk away or you might find some different hybrid in the middle, right? Like, so it's this willingness to shift to, I'm going to engage in the process and let go of the outcome, right? Like some people might be like, well, I can question it a little bit as long as I don't question these things, or I don't question it too much, or as long as I end up at the same end result that, you know, but that keeps you at that surface level, you know? So, but usually when people really start this process, like, and really do walk into it more, you know, that, that initial process of like, oh my gosh, what have I been believing? (laughs) How have I lived my whole life? (laughs) Like, look at all the ways this has impacted all my relationships and how I feel about myself and um, whatever other grief or pain maybe comes up from that, you know, it can be um, a pretty intense process, very much like grieving the death of like a close family member. Yeah. Um, so it's a, like you mentioned a grieving, like it is a big grief process mm-hmm. um, at first. And there's this like deep layer of what do I actually, what gives me meaning and purpose in life, right? So like that, again, that zoomed out, like big, deep layer that we were talking about earlier, like that's mm-hmm. often a big component of this. And so it can, when I'm working with clients, when they're at this stage, it's just a lot of like processing emotions, getting more connected with themselves, learning to be comfortable asking questions, learning to reconnect with their body. Um, a lot of religious settings that are harmful, not, no, not every religious setting is harmful. Like, so I don't want people to be listening to this and think like, oh, well, you know, any, any, they're just saying any religious setting. No, I'm saying the religious settings that are harmful, one common element, regardless of the religion, is um, they teach distrust of self, mm-hmm. right? So like either like you're innately sinful or you can't trust your body or you always have to defer to this religious leader or this religious text. Like this is the only place that you can trust mm-hmm. information. You can't trust yourself and you're taught to override all of that. So like a big part of this, like initial process for people when they're often going through deconstruction is also learning to listen to themselves again or learning how to do it for the first time, right? Like sometimes you've grown up in a thing your whole life and um, you've never really learned how to listen to your own needs, how to honor your own limits and boundaries, how to uh, tune into your physical body and notice the cues that your body is giving you. Um, and know what to do with those. So that's also a big part of this early step. It's like a grief process and also like kind of starting to notice like, well, what are some of the, maybe the bigger implications of how these different teachings have impacted me and what do I really think about them? 
So there's a lot of anxiety kind of management in there, like emotional regulation, and then also learning to really listen to yourself and what your own needs are and like build up that comfort level. Yeah, that self-acceptance. It makes me think of what comes to mind for me a lot is shame. And, you know, I love Brene Brown. I know we all love Brene Brown in the therapy world. Um, But she does that shame resiliency, you know, and so that's that's what comes to mind that that how do we accept ourselves? How do we become resilient to this? We're bad idea. And no, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like this is not religion is bad. This is not institutions are bad. It's just that there can be harmful structures in institutions. I think a lot about in, in Judaism, I'm a member of a very reformed synagogue. And so we're very flexible and adaptable with doctrines and teachings, but there's a whole other side of Judaism. That's not, that's not that flexible that's not that adaptable that I didn't even know about. Right. This like shocked me to find out that within my religion, you know, there were, there were institutions that could cause, you know, traumatic responses in people. And, and so that was really interesting. And then the shame part, you know, growing up in a community where, you know, Houston's very diverse, but the area I lived in was probably more Christian focused. And so there's also that need to belong that makes you question your faith. So I'm thinking about this deconstruction and the process that I've gone through over the years back and forth around religion, around, you know, my culture of Judaism, my faith around Judaism, and then, you know, what Christianity means to me and what Christianity is and what Islam is and just kind of this exploration of what it's all about and how we're all connected and things like that. So anyways, that's what you made me think of with that whole thing. It's just, it's so complex, but it's also, it's not in itself bad. And I guess that's that reconciliation I asked about in the beginning is like, there's good data because there's good stuff that comes out of faith, but there's also, there's also harmful stuff that can come out of it just like with anything. Well, and I'd say that deconstruction process, it's, it's a, a pendulum swing. It's a pendulum evening out, right? So like if you've been at one extreme for a while, Um, When you start to deconstruct stuff, right, like that pendulum will kind of swing to the opposite end. So it can be, for some people, it can be, feel really painful or uncomfortable or hard to be around anything connected with the belief system that they're currently deconstructing. But with time, as you move through that, those pendulum swings even out, they don't go to the extreme as much. They even out into this more centered place where in time, right, it's not like, like I said, it's not dark out of the soul forever. But as you move through that, right, like you really start to build up this connection um, to yourself, learn to really like listen to and value that internal voice for yourself. You learn to like feel connected and have community um, in multiple kinds of ways. Like you really like take some time and give yourself permission to like think through like what spiritual beliefs really are valuable and important to me. And what do those look like integrated in my life in a way that feels authentic and internally motivated um, and really aligns with who I am like doing that whole finding a community, whether it's a religious setting or not, that values and affirms that for you, where you feel seen and connected, right? Like it's a whole process. Um, But then you eventually move to this place where 
you can integrate all of those things and it can feel okay. It doesn't mean you uh, suddenly align and celebrate all the old stuff you believed, but it doesn't feel as distressing to be around it um, as it did like when you're earlier in that process. So like there's kind of a whole little transition path through that. And uh, kind of like, just like real quick, like what you're saying about Uh, you know, religious settings, like some of them can be wonderful, like very life affirming, like communities and all of that. And that community belonging piece is actually one of the most powerful and compelling things for people in, in any sort of religious community, right? Like that's uh, one of the hardest things for people to leave if they are deconstructing and leaving, right? It's one of the things that draws people to that, you know, so that can be a really powerful thing, but, um, the thing that I've found to be consistent among uh, all my clients that I've worked with from multiple religious backgrounds, not just Christianity, but there's certain elements that show up that are common and consistent in all of those settings that they've talked about that are harmful. And it's when these, it's not the beliefs or the spirituality itself that's harmful. It's the structure around it and how that spirituality is taught that starts to make that setting harmful, right? So like a few of those are things like authoritarianism and deference to leadership, right? Like leaders are, there's like low accountability for leadership. Leaders are inerrant, right? They can't make mistakes. We must believe them and obey them because they're appointed by spiritual deity what you know like that kind of a thing like it once that starts showing up that can be a warning sign there can be a lot of like uh if there's a culture of secret keeping like oh these are things we don't talk about like whatever you know that is a red flag whenever there's like devaluation of specific groups whether it's women or bipoc individuals or like other like religious minorities or LGBTQ population, like certain groups are identified and then kind of made to be less valuable um, within that setting, that's a red flag. And so the more red flags that are showing up, the more those are signs that there's some harmful dynamics going on there, whether you have directly experienced it or not. So thinking about that or moving along those same lines is what is it important for religious leaders and people of faith to understand about how this trauma occurs and how they can help move away? I feel like we've kind of covered, let me go back a little bit. I feel like we've pretty much covered religious trauma, but if you want to give a kind of just quick overview of what really religious trauma is, um, and then kind of what what would be helpful for religious institutions and people of faith to take into account mm-hmm. as far as how to make sure their institution isn't creating, you know, like institutionalized trauma? Well, um, you know, religious trauma, it can be helpful to think about it first, just how we talk about trauma, right? Like trauma in and of itself isn't a specific action or event. It's that response that a person experiences like in response to an event. So so, whenever someone experienced something that's too overwhelming or is like an extreme boundary violation where they don't feel like they have any agency or ability to, you know, like that can cause a trauma response in a person. But then with religious trauma too, it's also like a term that's used a lot in like 
um, at the same time as that is just religious harm. Like sometimes we just experienced a really painful, harmful thing. Maybe it hasn't caused a big trauma response, but it was still really painful and hurtful. And it was within a religious context. So it like carries some of that. It adds to some of our confusion or, you know, complications with our belief system. There's, you know, stigmas about if you are whatever religion, Christian enough, you know, um, Muslim enough, um, Jewish enough. And I was thinking about, because I'm reform, right? So I'm, I'm telling you, I'm from a more flexible practice. And I remember hearing this story of somebody being told, well, do you want to be like Jewish or do you want to be Jewish like Tracy? Which was like a a dig at me. Like I'm not Jewish enough. Like I don't count because I'm in a reformed version of the practice. And that, that was a harm, I think. So that's what came up to me when you're talking about that. You're having PTSD flashbacks about that, but that was still a harmful, stigmatizing, mm-hmm. painful, like microaggression kind of a experience for you, right? Like I've, you know, yeah, like and within Christianity stuff, like I mean, any religion has this, right? Like people are going to have a hierarchy of holiest to least holy because mm-hmm. uh, we're humans, and when we are not practicing self-awareness and owning our own stuff we tend to want to earn um, or make ourselves feel better by Mm -hmm. engaging in different things and sometimes that means trying to just go all in with our faith practices right and we kind of start like ranking ourselves um, or coming up with external criteria to prove that we're okay Mm-hmm. I mean, we do this in all kinds of ways, but religion is one of them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hierarchies are reinforcing. Right. Like people do that with money, status, power. Like, I mean, it can be anything, but religion is definitely one of them and it's a big one. Yeah. So, I mean, with, with that, it's, yeah, it's this range of like, is it harmful? Is it traumatic? Right. Like, I mean, traumas can be smaller, um, like call it little T traumas, you know? Um, so like more like, I get really anxious whenever I'm in settings where they're talking about X, Y, Z topics, just because like I heard, you know, heard a really scary story about that when I was a kid in church. And now when I'm around it, I feel really anxious, you know, Um, or it could be like big T traumas, like sexual abuse within the church or something like that. Right. Like if you experience, right. So again, there's a range. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so I think one of the big, one big thing that um, religious, institutions can do is make space for that to exist and acknowledge that it exists. And like, Mm -hmm. just like with the Me Too movement, right? Like there's been this big shift of how, because I mean, victims, survivors of this stuff, even if it's just harm or little T trauma, but especially the big T trauma um, are very stigmatized and often punished, not even by the leaders, they're punished by the other community. Yeah. So like the rest of the community is like, you need to stop. Like we know, we know this guy, he's great. He would never do anything like that. Right. Like most, or, or even if people aren't saying that it might just be like, Oh, I don't want to, Oh, I'm suddenly kind of uncomfortable to invite that person to my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm not going to sit right by them or this whole thing just makes me uncomfortable. So I'm just going to avoid it. Right. Like sometimes it's more just passive harm through just like backing off and avoiding and not really talking to them as much. Um, so like one of the number one most important things that religious leaders and communities can do is like educate their communities about 
how to center themselves around the people that have been harmed rather than centering themselves around protecting leadership. Yeah. And doing a lot of that. And there's like organizations that will come in and train your community on how to do this and train your leaders and how to do this of like, how do we create a community that's safe for people to come forward and share when things have been harmed? How do we have accountability in place for leadership? Um, how do we create safe spaces for people to have a voice and express when things have been hurtful? What's our protocol and procedure if someone comes forward and reports like a more serious type of abuse? Um, a lot of places haven't ever really even talked about that. Yeah. Or, you know, if they do, it's like maybe only the most extreme version, but then of like abuse, but then anything else is just kind of like, well, you know, let's just get over it. Yeah. Pray for you. <laughs> I think a lot of us know what the big T's are. I think, I think that's gotten a lot of news and coverage yeah. in media and movies and journalism. Uh, the little T's, I think, are some of the things that go more unnoticed. And when you were talking, I was thinking one of the things I've heard is about political trauma within religious institutions, where if you don't, whatever political belief the leadership is pushing, if you don't align fully with that, it's either, you know, I don't want to use, um, it's kind of like you either fall in line or you get out. So I've had a lot of people leaving churches, leaving, you know, synagogues, leaving all kinds of places in search of new places where they fit. But I think that political harm, that divisiveness can be, can be a, a little T. I mean, I think that this is like the little T stuff, especially is where like keeping in mind that boundaries piece mm -hmm. um, really helps kind of clarify what some of that looks like. So like, do I feel, and sometimes sure, like, do we need to work on our own skill in comfort and communicating boundaries about stuff? Yeah, of course, that could be personal work we do for ourselves. But does this community or religious setting, do I feel comfortable setting limits? Mm -hmm. um, do I feel comfortable expressing how I really think about something? Or do I feel pressured, even if it's subtly? to fall in line with the larger opinion of the group. How does this group respond to people who maybe have differing opinions um, or different life experiences, right? Is that welcomed into conversation? Is it openly talked about? Or uh, is the subject suddenly changed? Do they favor certain people over others, right? Like, so like a lot of those like more subtle kind of things um, or sometimes it's not even that subtle. It's just like, I don't know, a, a leader and a, a staff meeting for a church could just say like, hey, this is kind of where we land on this. And if you have any problems with it, you just need to speak up now. Otherwise, you just need to like get over it and move on. Right. So like technically they're making it an option, but it's not really because it's like this really intimidating setting of you've got to speak right like so like again like noticing some of those manipulation tactics right like do those kind of show up in things you know are people closer to leadership often making a lot of excuses for them or does the leadership actually own their own mistakes when those happen um in a real way not just in a i'm sorry you feel hurt by this kind of way right because then it's just making it sound like it's your fault um 
So, and then um, I'd say some of the other like little T traumas are just like the ways certain, and this is one where it's like, this varies from person to person, um, but the way certain teachings um, land for different people and how they get internalized, right? Like some, one person could hear some teaching and not really think twice about it. And someone else could hear it and really internalize it in a way that, you know, like, I believe I'm worthless or like failing or I can't, you know, like, um, some of these like self-loathing kind of things too. So also not one size fits all with all of this, like each individual person is going to experience that differently. You know, and, and we're talking a lot about religious trauma and how that can lead to needing to reevaluate things. But one of the other things that we are going to talk about or want to talk about is, you know, and I guess this would be a religious trauma actually, is that when like a loss of a child is the one that comes to mind the most strongly or a loss of a sibling, um, especially, especially because of the stigmas associated with loss of a sibling or family member by suicide. What does that look like and how do we work through that? And how do we support people who are working through that? I mean, some faiths, teach that if you die by suicide, you can't get into heaven, right? Like some of them are very overt about like that. Um, and then others, yeah, it'll just be more passively harmful things like, well, you know, God has a plan. Like, okay, well, was his plan for me to feel extreme pain and loss at like the loss of this like dearly loved like family member of mine, you know, like that's a crappy plan. I don't like that, you know? Um, or like God needed another angel in heaven or whatever, you know, like all those like stupid things people say, stuff people say to manage their own discomfort, right? Like any of those statements are never about that other person. It's all, whoever's saying it, it's about their own discomfort with the topic. And they're trying to like manage that for themselves. Um, so I would say for people, if that's happened to someone around you. Number one, check in with yourself first. Notice what your discomfort points are mm -hmm. and be honest with yourself of like, why am I wanting to talk to this person about this? Why am I wanting to make a comforting statement to them? Mm -hmm. Is it because I feel guilty and bad? Okay. Well, they don't need to hear that from me. Like, is it because I genuinely, uh, am I genuinely willing to like be present? in their grief and pain and loss and um, put my own like agenda on the back burner, right? Like, cause I mean, really in those times, that's what they need. And just like, I mean, even if it's not an extreme loss, just someone, you know, that's really questioning their faith or, you know, we're going through a deconstruction process. Like if you haven't done that, it can be really anxiety provoking or uncomfortable to know how to talk to that person about that because it can start to stir up some of those questions for yourself too. So in those settings, like, again, notice when you are feeling uncomfortable, do something to support yourself mm -hmm. in your own discomfort, know what your limits are, right? Like, cause sometimes like it may genuinely be too much or too difficult at that particular time to be around another person. And so you can Maybe you have someone else with you and y'all are talking to them together, or maybe you space out your visits with them, whatever, you know, but also like, you don't have to know the answers to this, right? Like you, like you're not talking to them to give them the answers, right? You're talking to them to just be present, right? So like yeah. release yourself 
from that pressure and expectation of like needing to have the right answer mm -hmm. um, or know the right thing to say, because there's not a right thing to say in any of that. So like give yourself that permission to not have the right answer and instead shift to being curious. Yeah. Like ask questions. Being okay with just sitting there with them and being silent. Maybe you're just sharing space with them. Yeah. Being okay with not knowing the answer, being okay with not yeah. knowing what to say, being okay with that it sucks and it's not comfortable. Yeah, that's kind hard. of my, yeah, that's kind of my go-to statement. I'm like, this sucks yeah. whenever we yeah. talk about really painful things. Um, so we've talked a lot about, we talked about religious trauma and how it can be in the structure or it can be, you know, less overt. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the positives too, because we're talking about crises of faith. So you know, one of the navigating, one of the ways we navigate crises of faith might be that we find a different community. And another way, and this deconstruction process that we've been talking about, but another way is that there are some really good structures in religious institutions, like support groups, like... Yeah, books, support groups, find a spiritual director, maybe there's a trusted leader at, in your community that you can talk to or another mentor type person, right? Find a therapist. A good therapist is not going to have an agenda on where you land with your faith questions. And I've heard a lot of people talk about therapists who, that they've had, who maybe identified with a specific religion and kind of angled all their questions to like a goal of that person landing back on whatever their original belief system was right but like a good therapist is not going to have an investment in where you land they're going to have an investment in your process right like what's actually the most life-giving thing for you and that's one thing I always tell all of my clients that I see who are like kind of religious trauma or deconstruction people is I always tell them at the very beginning I was like uh I don't care where what your ultimate outcome is in terms of whether you decide you believe the same thing or not, or you leave your faith or you don't, or what, like that part, like I have no secret agenda there. Mm -hmm. don't, that part, no, the part that I care about is um, what brings you more life mm -hmm. and what helps you feel more alive and connected in a relationship with the world around you, what brings you a stronger sense of purpose and identity. Like those are the things that I care about mm -hmm. um, and whatever ends up working for you, like, great. Like, but you're, you make the calls on what actually answers those questions for you. And so my role is to like provide some space and support and structure where you can ask those questions. Cause yeah, cause sometimes in that process too, it can be hard to talk to people that you're, you know, closely, because it may stir up some anxiety for them, yeah. or it feels confusing, um, and um, all of that. So sometimes it can be nice to talk to, whether it's a therapist, or maybe a spiritual director, or a mentor, some kind of third, more neutral third party can be really helpful in all of this process, um, because it can feel lower stakes to say some of the stuff out loud to them than it would be to like, I don't know, your spouse or like a close friend or something where, yeah. it, you know, there feels like there's more there, but yeah, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of different supports within religious communities and healthy religious communities, um, encourage and support 
asking questions and having doubts and all of this other stuff. Cause it means you're actually really engaging with your belief system. I'm trying to think if I have anything else, do you have anything else you think we need to cover related to this? I guess the only other thing is what is the one thing you wish um, religious, re- religious leaders really understood about supporting their membership through crises of faith or um, traumatic experiences? If I had to narrow it down to one thing, don't take it personally. Lead and guide others with an open hand, right? Like don't white knuckle that outcome. Mm -hmm. That part's not your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it's not a personal thing if someone's questioning something, right? Like, Like the more you can have an open hand with that and not take it as a personal critique, right? Like the more that's going to enable you to really like create a more life-giving environment and be willing, you know, to have accountability in place. And when people come forward with different, you know, struggles or things that were harmful or hurtful or trauma or whatever, it um, allows you to be more present for that. Um, And then find support for yourself outside of church, whether it's a therapist or a mentor or whatever, like, where you can get that support for yourself, because it doesn't mean you're never going to feel emotions about any of this, but um, find some places where you actually can be honest about those things. So then you can provide that presence and support for the people that you're leading within a religious setting. Okay. One more hard question. What do you want feel like Brene Brown now and her unlocking us where she's like, okay, hard question round. Um, no, but <laughs> what is somebody who is starting to grapple with a crisis of faith um, or really starting to feel that weight of maybe the shame, the internalized shame or whatever around that weight? What is something something you feel like you would want them to know? What's your message to them if they're listening right now? Be gentle with yourself. I think the other tricky part about all of this, like anything in the realm of spirituality and meaning and purpose and the universe, whatever, like whether we're talking about string theory or religious beliefs and practices is we are trying to put language to things that are ultimately mysterious. And so there will never actually be a totally 100% clear cut answer, correct answer, right? And so much of religion is about, here's the correct answers, right? And so that's part of what feels so disorienting Mm -hmm. when you start questioning it. So it's like that, be gentle with yourself and give yourself some permission to not have the answers, but that can be really uncomfortable. But that that gentleness and permission to not know the answers, like those two things will carry you a really long way. through the whole, throughout the whole thing. Um, those make a big difference. Yes. I love it. I want to leave it there. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Audrey. <laughs> yep. Of course. Right. <laughs> Happy to do it. I can talk about this stuff all day long. So <laughs> thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. Please let us know your thoughts by leaving a review and subscribe if you want to hear more of our content around managing mental health across the lifespan. If you would like to learn more about our work, events, and organization, please follow us on Instagram at Nick Finn Council 
or on Facebook at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center. NFCC is here because counseling matters. Special thanks to Jim Roman for composing our wonderful intro-outro music. Until next time, remember to make time for your mental health.